A two-year-old girl lies literally frozen in time. She died of pneumonia in 1920. 101 years later, her little cheeks and lips are still full, nose perfectly formed, eyelashes intact. Her light hair is pulled up in front with a silk bow. A few little curls resting on her brow, she appears to be just sleeping. In fact, she's been nicknamed Sleeping Beauty, and she has the reputation of being one of the world's best preserved mummies. Where did I find her? In the Capuchin Catacombs in Palermo, Sicily, where she is one of 8,000 mummies that I visited there. Come with me as we discover what lies beneath. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. friends and tapophiles, I'm your host, Lachelle. We have Randy back as our co-host today. Hey, Randy. Hello. Thanks for joining me. I had to have you as my co-host today because you and I took an amazing trip to almost three years ago to parts of Italy, Spain, and Sicily. So we're good travel buddies because we love to see the same kinds of things. Old churches, cool architecture. Yeah, we like to go to museums and look at art and just wander through the old parts of towns and cities, hoping to come across cool doors or balconies, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I just love that when you come around a corner and there's this really old church or cathedral or little graveyard. It's just fun to walk around the cobblestone streets. And we went to old forts and saw just beautiful vistas. So when we found this fun trip to take, we both went into research mode and found all the history and attractions to do and see in the different cities that we would visit. Yeah, and Sicily, I feel like, was one of the harder ones to kind of figure out what to do. We really only had one day there, and I didn't know as much about it as a lot of the other places we visited. So, you know, looking up what I could about it, one of the top things that came up was this tour for capuchin catacombs. And so, you know, I send you a text and I'm like, hey, there's a tour in Sicily that takes you to see mummies. Is that like something you want to do? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, heck, yes, I do. (laughs) And it was really the only paid tour we did during the cruise part of our trip. Other days, we just figured out transportation or walked around the cities if they were close to the port. And it was just kind of funny because people that we met on our Rome tour, some of them kept asking what we were going to do when we went to Sicily. And then I would awkwardly laugh and be like, we're going to go to catacombs and see 
all of these mummies. <laughs> they would kind of just look at me like, uh, what? Okay. <laughs> and we'd be like, yeah, aren't you going to go see the mummies? Like, why, why is this a weird thing? <laughs> uh, and they would go, um, no. <laughs> no, not not even a little it's bit. Kind of like when I tell someone that I do a podcast about cemeteries, they either stare and say, "Oh," <laughs> or they say, "Oh my heck, that's the coolest thing ever." It's usually one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's not a lot of neutral ground when it comes to cemeteries yeah. or dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, people tend to have strong opinions about those things, apparently. <laughs> apparently, weird. So we weren't the only ones, though, that went to see the mummies. There were a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, just not a lot of the people that we had talked to beforehand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we get on a little charter bus or van or whatever. We get to the building, and the outside building is pretty simple. I mean, it's a monastery, so it is very plain. It's not, like, super decorated. But you wouldn't even really know yeah. What it was, I don't think, just from looking at the outside. But mm -mm. let alone that down below are some of like the most bizarre and even some would say morbid tourist attraction. But, you know, mm -hmm. we believe that with the conservation status of the countless corpses exposed, makes the cemetery of the convent of the Capuchin Friars, or also known as the Capuchin Catacombs of Palermo, one of the most impressive places to visit in the world. It definitely makes an impression on you, good or bad. <laughs> we'll leave it up to you to decide which. Yeah, exactly. They think of it as a cemetery. So they call it the Cemetery of the Convent of the Capuchin Friars. But it's just been kind of dubbed catacombs because it's down right beneath it's definitely what i would think of more as a catacomb right it's cavernous we'll get into it but it's much more open and, and not what we would think of as a traditional cemetery for sure we just only think of a cemetery as people that are buried in the ground right or crypts mausoleums but i guess it is underground so you must have a tour to descend down into the large capuchin catacombs there's no just wandering around on your own as you descend below you enter what their website calls a place suspended between life and death as we descended down the stairs we noticed that it got darker cooler and it kind of smells like a cave it's musty but it also smells old and like really dusty. <laughs> <laughs> Super dusty. You come down into a room and you just see so many mummies on both sides of a walkway. Lots of mummies. So there are approximately 8,000 there in the catacombs, four centuries worth of mummies. Some are lying in coffins mummies are lying on shelves carved into niches in the wall sitting on benches and even stranger than that so many mummies are wired or pinned in standing positions against the walls so they'll just be layers they would be down below kind of coffins and then carved out benches and niches right. and then above that you might have one or two rows of 
hanging on the wall. So literally both sides of the walls that you were walking through were covered in remains. Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it already, but you could not look anywhere in there without seeing a mummy. Every square mm-hmm. inch, except the little narrow path that you mm-hmm. were walking on was covered with mummies. I think I was a little surprised at that. I mean, I think I would see mummies, but it just was, I guess that's how you house 8,000 mummies. There were shelves that just had skulls, lots of mummies, and they're all dressed in their Sunday best, shoulder to shoulder, as far as you can see. It's a little different going to a place like this than to a cemetery, right? Like you said before, you go to a cemetery, you see the monuments, the headstones, the dead are kept away from the sight of the living. We're just seeing the grasses, the nice, tidy little monuments, the flowers, the stones, you know, and it's outside the fresh air. But here there's nothing standing between the living and the dead, with the exception of rope partition or the little metal handrails that go on each side of the walkway and a sign asking visitors to please be respectful. So crypts or catacombs are really different experience. What was your first thoughts about it, Randy? So I had actually been at this point, I'd already been to the Paris catacombs. It's a little bit different still than this. And I think the biggest difference and thing that was surprising to me was just seeing them like dressed for some reason. (laughs) I wasn't really expecting Mm -hmm. that. I mean, the mummies that I had ever seen was maybe in a a couple of museums where they were wrapped or you could just maybe see their face. It was like in the Egyptian wings of museums. And then the other catacombs I'd been to are just bones. So it was kind of in between those two things, which was Yeah, I could see why it was suspended between life and death because you look around and there's like, you could tell that they used to be a person more than typical Mm -hmm. catacombs. And But I thought it was cool. Very, very fascinating and interesting. I'm not weirded out about stuff like that very easily. So I was just, I mean, walking Mm -hmm. along like, whoa, this is so awesome and so interesting but definitely different than Mm -hmm. any other cemetery or catacomb that I'd been to. Right. I just felt like I could hardly take it all in. And I think we could have spent a whole lot longer there than they wanted you to. (laughs) They had their tours going constantly. Kind of ushered you through relatively quick. Right. You're looking at their clothing, and then you're looking at the state of mummification. Some were very well preserved, and then others, it felt like just a skeleton wearing clothes. Yeah. So it was a big range of the state that they were in. And we'll probably get to this a little bit later, but the range of what they were wearing, too, was really odd for me. Mm -hmm. There was not just one type of person or one type of century of clothing there you got this wide wide range so that was really interesting to see as well right and then 
also looking at them and trying to think about them being a person previously living and they had a life and a story and love and when ones. there's 8000 of them there I know that can be super yeah. overwhelming so this is when I tell you don't think about it too much don't think about it too yeah. much like we got to move yep. along or it's going to be like way too overwhelming to look at each individual <laughs> in this place like just emotionally yeah, there was one of those instances where Randy just took my arm and said, okay, we're done right here. We're going to keep moving. <laughs> keep <laughs> it moving. Keep it moving. You're thinking too much. And it made me wonder why they would want to be remembered this way instead of a more traditional burial. You know, what was it that compelled them to be forever seen even after death? And so they told us there in the monastery how all of this had come about. The practice of mummification, as we know, is an ancient tradition around the world. And it is one that's taken hold particularly in Sicily. And the Capuchin catacombs of Palermo are the highest expression of this tradition because of the huge number of preserved humans housed in them. The Capuchin catacombs of Palermo were originally built as a simple cemetery in which to bury just the monks of the monastery. Their website tells us that the Capuchin Friars were established in Palermo in 1534 at the Church of Santa Maria della Pace, or Lady of Peace. They had created a cemetery in which deceased friars were buried, digging a mass grave that opened like a tank under the altar of St. Anne. Soon, however, the Capuchin community grew, and by 1597, the first room of the cemetery, the pit tank, became insufficient. So for this reason, excavations were started to create a large cemetery behind the main altar using the existence of ancient caves. So interesting, right? Yeah, caves. And you can definitely feel that. It's a true mm -hmm. cavern. It feels like a cave. And yeah, it is. It's definitely looks and feels that way. And after two years, the new cemetery was ready it was decided to transfer the brothers from the overflowing charnel house to the new resting place. However, when the friars exhumed the corpses, something incredible had happened. 45 of the friars were found naturally mummified and magnificently preserved. They had not decomposed and their faces were still recognizable. So crazy. The Capuchins believed that this was an act of God and instead of burying the remains, they decided to display and adore the bodies of their brothers as relics, propped in niches mm -hmm. along the walls of the first corridor of the new cemetery. So that's kind of back along to when we talked about saints and relics. They believed that this was an act of God, that they were preserved this way, and so therefore they wanted to have them displayed like we see other relics and cathedrals and places around the world and honored as a special member of the church that so they could be prayed at the body that was first housed in the newly created catacomb was that of friar silvestro d'agubio still exposed in a simple brown robe and headdress clutching a sign commemorating the event 16th october 1599 and he is still there. You see him when you first walk in. The news of the 45 bodies found intact in the Capuchin convent attracted great attention. 
and little by little the capuchins began accepting more and more lay people until finally in 1783 they decided to concede burial to anyone who requested it the capuchin catacombs of palermo expanded and additional corridors were created what was first the private cemetery of the friars became a sort of museum of death <laughs> yes it did <laughs> from the 17th to 19th century Thousands of people, especially wealthy citizens of Palermo and rich celebrities, could gain burial in the catacombs. With generous donations, they could afford the friar's mummification process and prepared for eternal display in the wall niches of the underground cemetery. Mummification became a status symbol, a way to preserve status and dignity even in death with the possibility for the families of the deceased to visit and venerate not just ordinary graves, but dead bodies well-preserved. The cemetery was definitively closed in 1880, with the exception of two more bodies in the early years of the 20th century. The first in 1911, they accepted the body of Giovanni Paterniti, Vice Consul of the United States, and the second in 1920 was the body of a little girl, Rosalia Lombardo, who died at the tender age of two. A mummy is a corpse that has been preserved after death and it has not decomposed. It is considered a mummy and not simply a skeleton if the body retains a bit of its tissue, such as skin, hair, or muscles. This can happen as a natural process called natural mummification, or as an intentional process called artificial mummification. And that's kind of part of that where we would look at them with our eyes and we just see skeletons, but I'm sure that there is more to them. Yeah. That makes them a mummy. Some of them, yeah, maybe just really thin layers of skin or something, maybe even underneath their clothes that we couldn't necessarily see. The clothing, the parts that are exposed to the air and light may have continued to desiccate. Well, and if I remember correctly, too, some of them are still in the process of decomposition in a way. And some of the mummies used to look a lot more preserved, like 100, 200 years ago when they were first in there than I would they think do so. now even. So I wonder how much... You know, some of these have changed even over the time they were able to be viewed. For sure. Their website explains that most of the bodies found in the catacombs of Palermo were preserved naturally. So natural mummification is a process of transformation of the body, which is based on dehydration. Removing the fluids present in the tissues stops the growth of bacteria and consequently also the process of decay of the body. This is the mummification process that the Capuchins perfected after the miraculous discovery of 45 corpses intact. Shortly after death, the bodies were placed in a preparation room called the Colatoio, where the internal organs were removed. In their place were added straw or bay leaves in order to facilitate the process of dehydration. And the bodies were placed in a supine position, which is lying horizontally with the face and torso facing up. They were laid on grids made of terracotta tubes so their bodily fluids could drain away and their flesh could desiccate. The colatoyo, which represented the optimal environment for mummification, had drier air and very low humidity, 
were then shut off for close to a year. After the corpses were brought out, they were washed with vinegar, dressed often in the clothes of their own choosing, before being inserted in the wall niches. At the end, the skin took on the consistency of leather, and the body was characterized by a reduced weight and general stiffness. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. We're like, yeah. I lost weight. <laughs> That's interesting. Natural mummification, however, was not the only method employed by capuchins for cadaver preservation. During periods of epidemics, they bathed the bodies in arsenic. The results were mummies surprisingly intact still nowadays. I did not know that. This is the method that was used for the body of Antonio Prestigiacomo standing in the catacombs within a niche with a rose-colored face. If you remember, he had just kind of that redder tint to his skin. Yes. So as we said before, as the townspeople became aware of what they were doing and that these monks seemed to live on forever, they wanted to be treated this way so that they could live on or that their families could come and visit. So the next people that were allowed to be mummified were the dignitaries and wealthy citizens and patrons of the church. So the dead were divided by class, gender, and age. So as you walk along each corridor or hallway, there is a distinction there. Yeah, I do kind of remember noticing themes of how the mummies would look in certain areas mm -hmm. and that they did change kind of as we made our way through the different corridors. I don't know if I really put together that that was a class thing at the time. I can't remember mm -hmm. if they told us that as they were walking us through or not. But yeah, it was interesting to see all the differences. I believe that they did. That's my memory. So yeah, I mean, as you walk along, there are different hallways. The first, there is a hall of monks wearing their robes. In fact, the oldest corpse in the catacombs is that of Silvestro D'Agubio. And this section I thought was the most interesting and kind of disturbing, at least to me, just because the monks and their robes mm -hmm. were, were very ominous looking, even though they're not meant to be. It just is a very ominous look to have right. a corpse wearing this dark hooded robe pinned to a wall. <laughs> It was kind of grim, reaper-esque yes. looking. Even though they were like men of God and were definitely not meant to look foreboding or negative. It just, just couldn't help but kind of take that feel on. And then there is the corridor of the women. Right. Dressed in embroidered dresses and ornamental caps on their heads. This once beautiful fabric. You could tell it was the best money could buy. Now shredded, faded, and covered in a nice layer of dust. <laughs> exactly. And they would have little bonnets and long dresses, and some looked kind of more like night clothes. Yeah, and then some of them looked like very formal dresses. It had several right. layers kind to them, and like lace, those big lace collars. Lace. Right. So in a chapel known as the Crucifix, there are the bodies of young virgin women. In the middle of this corridor, there is also the last visible preparation room, the Colatoyo. And then that one, you actually see a mummy laying on 
some of those terracotta tubes that they talk about. I went back and saw a picture right. the other day and you could see those tubes. So that was interesting. Yeah, I hadn't put that together that that's what exactly that was. I don't think I did either at the time. So there's also a corridor of professionals and that's where they keep the mummies of doctors, lawyers, painters, officers, and soldiers. And they were dressed accordingly to their profession for the most part in that corridor. I remember seeing the soldier for sure. Right. Like one of the guys still had like a full head of hair. Yeah. And then there's others that, again, just look like a skeleton, but they had different kinds of shirts and pants and shoes and some very formal jackets suits with the tails or big coats yes cravats or ties and vests really interesting yeah the corridor of the men contains the bodies of members of palermo's prominent families and that's where we saw a lot of men in their very finest clothes that's where we saw a lot of those the mummies here were still in very different states of preservation some that had all the skin on their face intact some, like we've discussed, were more of skeletal, but some faces were really serene looking. And to juxtapose that, some had their jaws like wide open and it looked like as if they were screaming. Right. And that, I mean, definitely. That was pretty freaky. <laughs> yeah, a little scary looking when you have this skeleton all dressed in his clothes, just kind of not looking at you, but their mouth wide open and yes, looks like a scream. So there are some that have facial hair even. And I remember seeing one that had this gigantic mustache, still was even pretty formed, like in a nice shapely mustache right. and had eyebrows. So interesting how they all were different. Yeah. So that was the man that was the American vice consul. And I mean, still nose, eyelids, ears, the whole bit. He looked very lifelike still. But he is one of the newer ones as well. He hasn't been sitting there 300 years. So maybe that, maybe that's part of oh, it. Oh, true. <laughs> one man even decided that he wanted to have glass eyes put into his eye sockets so that he could always look out at the world. Yeah, he's still doing just that. Super creepy <laughs> mummy with glass eyes staring at you. And they look ridiculous. Like they don't look like natural eyes because his face is all shrunken. Right. And there's like these big, gleaming, unblinking eyes. And that is the same that Antonio Prestigiacomo that had the really red, the reddish rosy face that we just talked about oh, right yes he's the one that had those eyes and he has hair on his head tons of hair nose everything so he's a very well-preserved mummy but his eyes are open and he has these glass eyes and so it's just <laughs> so creepy looking why would you do that yeah very bizarre way to want to be remembered too yeah really Weird. So there is also a chapel of the children and a corridor of families, which includes mummies of the same family, which for obvious reasons, we found the chapel of the children kind of hardest to be in. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of small babies and young children in various stages of mummification. 
And some literally just looked like a baby's skeletal remains wearing a long dress and bonnet with little gloves on their hands. And I think this was the point when I had to pull mom away and say, don't think about it too much. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to linger if we don't want. Because, yeah, it was kind of a lot. Yeah, I was like, oh, look at all those little babies, all those little kids. And, of course, you can fit more little tiny bodies on a wall and in the niches. So there was just a lot of little kids and to me was the hardest part of the whole thing. I think we're kind of used to seeing like adult looking skeletons. You know, we see them even Halloween yeah. you know, type stuff, but those little tiny baby skeletons, it just, that one hit me. So Randy's like, all right, we're not thinking about it. Let's just keep going. Oh, look. Yeah, I could just <laughs> see her going down this rabbit hole and like her eyes welling up. And I'm like, eh, we're supposed to be having a fun day. We're just going to. Let's just, let's just. Keep going. Don't think about it. Yes. So the catacombs were even featured on the sci-fi channel series called Scariest Places on Earth. Oh, wow. I did not realize that. (laughs) I was surprised kind of to see the show. I thought it was, I mean, of course, the catacombs are maybe morbid or macabre, but I wasn't really scared But we've already established that we're kind of weird about this stuff, so... (laughs) Right. Yeah. Maybe we're not the best meters of what's scary and what's not. Right. (laughs) We're not a good litmus test. I mean, I would say this. I wouldn't want to be in there by myself in the dark. Yeah. (laughs) You know? That would Mm -hmm. be pretty scary. (laughs) Or at least uncomfortable. But, I mean, walking through with, like, a group, you know, with the lights on or whatever it was... Yeah, I didn't think it was scary. Right. But supposedly it is deemed one of the scariest places on Earth. All right. The show told an interesting story of a time in Palermo where there was a plague. And there was seen 14 monks walking about in the dark of night. Later, when the father superior was asked why he sent these monks out, he was amazed. He said no monks had left that night. The people then understood that saints were buried there in the catacombs and had manifested as spirits to do penance for the city in hopes of ending the plague. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. And so that probably also adds to the lore and to their thoughts of them being relics. True. And this miraculous thing happening around the monks. And that they're still... A part of serving their city and helping people after Mm -hmm. their death. So at the end of the first corridor in the chapel of Santa Rosalia, between two coffins with the corpses of other children, there is a glass coffin wherein lies the mummy of little Rosalia Lombardo, a two-year-old girl who died in 1920. This is the coolest thing I think I have ever seen in terms of burials and crypts. But she is mm-hmm. an amazingly preserved mummy and literally looks like a sleeping angel. She is often referred to as the sleeping beauty of Palermo and was one of the last people to be interred in the cemetery of the Capuchin Friars. She has become part of Sicilian lore in the hundred years since her death. It is said that she was daughter of a noble family 
and that she was born frail and weak and endured more pain and sickness through her short life than most do in their lifetime. Her premature death left her father so heartbroken, he asked local taxidermist named Alfredo Salafia to make her live forever. And more than a hundred years after her death, she is still so well-preserved that she looks like she's taking a nap. She was embalmed by Alfredo. So we talked about natural mummification, but little Rosalia Lombardo was treated with an artificial mummification, also called embalming, which we know more of that word sure. in these days, and is achieved by injection of chemicals. In the catacombs of Palermo, this process of preservation of the bodies was used only occasionally. So this case of this sweet little girl is famous all over the world and the results are still visible today. She has just this serene face. She has light blonde hair that's pulled back in the front in this silk ribbon on top of her head in this pretty little bow. And she has these golden curls that fall onto her forehead and long eyelashes profiling her eyes. Yeah everything just a tiny little girl with soft and relaxed skin plump cheeks that give just this incredible feeling of life she is so well preserved that she is considered to be the world's most beautiful mummy she really is i mean like i said you haven't seen anyone else preserved like her no so i heard or kind of remember that there's a rumor that some people can see her blink. Like she actually blinks still to this day. Yes, people swear that she blinks. One thought is that it's changes in the temperature inside the crypt that causes her eyelids to contract, producing this effect. But Capuchin Catacombs curator Dario Piombino Mascali has a different theory. He believes that her blinking eyes is just an optical illusion caused by the angle at which the light from the windows fall upon her. Okay. As the day progresses and the direction of the light changes, Rosalia appears to open and close her eyes several times throughout the day. He made this discovery in 2009 when he noticed the workers at the museum had moved her coffin which caused her body to shift slightly and it allowed him to see her eyelids better than ever before. And he realized then that Rosalia's eyes, they're not completely closed and they never were. Okay. So in pictures of her, you can see just a little slight opening. And I think it just depends on the angle or the lighting if it looks like her eyes are open or if her eyes are closed, which makes total sense. If you're looking from her head down, her eyes would look closed. But if you're looking from her feet up, you can see that little opening in her eyes. And I remember seeing that her eyes weren't completely shut. Yeah. I don't think anyone thinks that they can see her like literally close her eyes. But I think just people that worked there or that have been in there were like, wait a minute, her eyes were closed a few minutes ago and now her eyes are slightly open or something yeah so i also remember there being almost kind of a controversy about how alfredo was able to achieve this 
embalming and that it wasn't for a while able to be replicated that he like wouldn't give out his secret right he had discovered this amazing embalming technique that they used to make rosalia so well preserved and it was a mystery lost for a century until dario piombino mascali who is an italian anthropologist who works with the institute for mummies I didn't know there was an Institute for Mummies. Not gonna lie. An Institute for Mummies? <laughs> <laughs> and with the famous mummy, the Iceman in Bolzano, he actually ended up tracking down living relatives of the embalmer Alfredo, who had died in 1933. It seems like we heard that he didn't want anyone else to be able to use this. I think maybe he thought that it could be dangerous or used in a bad way or something i didn't we hear that yes that's what i had heard that it was almost like this scientific discovery he was almost kind of seen as this like mad scientist for achieving this feat and then Mm -hmm. wouldn't give out like his secret recipe because he was concerned or i don't know if it was concern or if it was just a pride thing of i am the only one that can do this It seemed like to me it was more out of concern of how people would use this. But who knows? His technique and his recipe just kind of went with him to the grave. Right. So, yeah, until this curator, this biologist, tracked down his relatives, they still had possession, in their possession, documents who had belonged to Alfredo Salafia, where he had recorded his secret procedure. So... Unlike the usual embalming method where the organs are removed and the empty cavities are filled with the salts to desiccate the body, Salafia made a small puncture in the body and actually injected a mixture of, quote, formulin to kill bacteria, alcohol to dry the body, glycerin to keep her from over drying and desiccating, salicylic acid to kill fungi in the flesh, and the most important ingredient zinc salts to give the body rigidity and prevented her cheeks and nasal cavities from caving in, end quote. So now the child mummy rests inside a glass-covered coffin saturated with nitrogen to prevent any hint of decomposition. And at some point, her little coffin had a hinged lid, but it was always open, so that lid has been removed and... There's glass over the top of her coffin, which I believe there's been glass over her coffin for many, many Quite years. some time, yeah. And I also remember reading that because of this mixture that he injected her with, it's almost more like she's petrified rather than mummified. Yes. Like she's almost like stone. Yeah. Just so fascinating. And that it had to be given at the very moment of death while the blood was still moving a little bit throughout her body. I thought that was really creepy too. Yeah. So some have actually called her a fake because she is so near perfect. And some skeptics claimed that the real body was replaced with a realistic wax replica. The History Channel made a documentary in the 2000s and they brought x-ray equipment into the catacombs and Rosalia's coffin was x-rayed for the first time. They discovered not only a skeletal structure, but that her organs were still intact. And her brain was perfectly visible, only having shrunk 50% due to the mummification process. Wow. Then in 2009, 
a National Geographic documentary had an MRI performed on the body, and it produced the first 3D images of Rosalia both inside and out. It confirmed that all of her organs were perfectly intact and that her arms are at her sides. This was talked about because no one has ever looked under the blanket that covers her body. She has this little blue silk, looked like it was. I mean, now it's so faded. But it's clear up to her neck, you know, pulled up like she's tucked into bed. Right. And so they didn't know if her hands were over her chest or where they were. And so they're just down at her side. That was some interesting things that they found. It's actually that little girl is in that coffin. I'll provide a link to the article in our show notes. Um, There are also so many videos and photos galore on the internet about little Rosalia and the monastery and the catacombs. So we'll make sure we get some links up for you to see. One particular video is really scary (laughs) and it has many photos of the different mummies and I think that it's probably scarier because they put it to this horror movie type music track (laughs) right they're trying to make it scarier yeah I was watching that the other night and Brad was like uh that is really creepy (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like oh yeah I guess it is but I was just kind of looking at the mummies so somehow they were able to take photos in the catacombs when we went there it was against their rules and they asked us not to take any photography at all so we respected their wishes and so unfortunately we don't have any photos that we have taken of these mummies i think i have one of the outside and that's it okay but i have found quite a few out there that are just part of the public domain and since not much has changed in the catacombs in like a hundred years it's still really useful. Yes. (laughs) It looks pretty much the same. I will post some of the fun old 1940s photos. Oh yeah, that will be awesome to look through. I do have an interesting kind of side story that involves photos in the catacombs. My tattoo artist, Lindsay, there is a huge tattoo convention in Palermo that they do pretty much annually. And so she's been into the catacombs and they do open it up periodically for artists to come in and take photos for inspiration and to use in, yeah, their works of art. So there are times where they actually do allow people to come in and take photos, but not always and not, you know, in the general tour. She had actually missed the day or whatever that they opened it up to go and take photos yeah but she still went in just to see the mummies because thought that was really interesting so yeah we chat about palermo sometimes which is fun one other person i know out there that has been been to the catacombs besides you and i yes but you can only imagine in our group of i don't know how many people were in our group at least 30 40 people if each of us had a camera and we were trying to get pictures of all of these mummies the tours would take forever. Yeah, that's true. And I bet that's a big reason why they don't. Plus, they also sold a trash ton of their postcards and their <laughs> books with the pictures because we couldn't take any. Right, because we wanted 
to show them. I mean, we each bought one. I think almost everybody on our yeah. tour bought a postcard yeah, stack. These guys, they're making some bank over there at, <laughs> at this catacomb. Yes. <laughs> so one more funny story, kind of a little bit. So I'd said before, like the smell down there below in the catacombs, it was just musty, cave-like, decay, and just so dusty and I just couldn't help but think and I actually said to you Randy like I just can't imagine what is in the air down here <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean just think of the layers of hundreds of years of dust I'm sure that they clean and try to dust and keep everything as clean as they can but some of those mummies have literally been down there forever and just think of the clothing and all the folds and the hats and the hair. And I mean, it just has to have so much. Yes. So then the not so funny part about this story is a few days later, mom comes down with this horrible cough and a fever. And she just was not feeling well, getting super sick. We still had to fly home from Rome to Los Angeles through Germany. It was like the longest travel day ever. All I could think of was all of those mummies and all of that dust. And I said, see, it was the mummies. And she's like, the mummy, mummy lung. lung. <laughs> that was it. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then of course I kept making Zoolander quotes at her. I have the mummy lung, Pa. <laughs> I have the mummy lung. Yes, I definitely felt like I had some kind of terrible mummy lung. Yeah, it was bad news. And for whatever reason, well, for the reason of being in the catacombs and talking about how this dust was making us cough. <laughs> yeah, we decided it was uh, due to the capuchin lungs. Exactly. <laughs> what are your thoughts about it in general? Like, how did you feel about the monastery and the catacombs? I thought it was very fascinating and interesting. I wouldn't necessarily want to be remembered that way. And that was kind of the odd thing is it was just so strange to me that so many people in over the years had sought out mm -hmm. being mummified and, and like hung on this cave wall as their like right. wishes. So that was something that was just so hard to wrap your mind around. But for me, who likes burials and crypts and these kind of things, it's one of my favorite things that we've done. It was one of my favorite burials places that we've visited just because it was so unique and special. And there's really nowhere else like it right. on Earth. It kind of has that feeling to me of like, and this is what it is. I mean, if you went through a cemetery and all of the graves were open or, you know what I mean? It's just all the people in the different yes. periods of time and the different dress and the different stages of decomp. I mean, it just really felt like you were in the cemetery, but you were actually seeing the people that were there. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely had a different feel to it than our normal cemetery wanders. Mm -hmm. There was almost a part of it where I'm like, is this like okay? Right. You know what I mean? Is this disrespectful? Right in any way but the fact of the matter is they wanted to be visited and mm -hmm. be seen forever yeah. i mean that was that's the whole, why they did it the whole point right so 
That made me feel better about that part of it because there was just that irking kind of feeling where I wasn't sure if this was, yeah, okay or disrespectful because of that. That's exactly what they wanted. And I read that little Rosalia, her family and like an aunt would come and visit her for years and years and pray there and that many people would go and pray with their loved ones and maybe ask for intercession or pray for them right somehow in a different way than what we're used to that might have brought them peace and closure that they were still there and they could still visit them and it's just different culture there's several cultures around the world that even exhume the bodies of their loved ones like on Dia de los Muertos and similar things like that to spend that day with their deceased ancestors and loved ones and it kind of you know is along those same lines where you can actually be physically more close to them and hopefully feel more connected to them but it's just very different in our western culture we're just a little more removed from yeah. from death in general. <laughs> and we've talked about that before. We like it neat and clean mm-hmm. and somebody comes and does everything and you see the neat little headstone. Don't want really much part of it for m- lots of people. And yeah, I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand. But as we said before, it definitely leaves a lasting impression. Yes, definitely something that we will never forget. Yeah. That is for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you, sis, for being with me today and talking about our fun trip. Thank you. It was so great to learn a little bit more and fill in those gaps of things I didn't quite realize when we were there. So, what is your take on this, my friends? Would you visit the dead here in Palermo, Sicily, in the cemetery of the convent of Capuchin Friars? Or is this for you... A cave of nightmares or one of the scariest places on earth. Most of us now live in cultures so very removed from death that we think of skeletons and mummies only around Halloween and equate them with the other monsters of our dreams for a good spook or thrill. It's just far enough into the shadows and out of the clean and tidy box that modern society has given us of death. But to these monks, this was a miracle, and the bodies, relics. It's what makes visiting places around the world and learning about different cultures and histories so intriguing to me. So what lies beneath? Catacombs and mummies. This was Stones, Bones, and Shadows. About the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stones bones and shadows podcast.com also don't forget to check us out on facebook like us on instagram follow us on twitter and leave us a comment we love to hear from our listeners Thank you.